Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their multicultural mess and secular scam. Hope you're having a great day today um, and a great, great evening and morning for you wherever you are in the world. Uh, so thank you once again for joining me on my podcast today. It's really appreciative. Uh, I had a, I joined the conference early on on a platform to... Uh, listen to um, an Indian um, actor and movie director who was playing, uh, who was very successful in India. It was a very great uh, podcast and very great uh, platform. Um, Hopefully they'll put it out there uh, on YouTube for everyone to see, but it it, it was great insight and I thank everyone who joined. Um, Having said that, Today's podcast is on the violence in, in Jerusalem as we speak right now, and the, uh, the Al-Aska mosque, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. We have spoken about this before a very long time ago, but I, I will do a refresher on it. So what is going on in, in Jerusalem at this point of time? It's a tinderbox, my friends. Um, we know that, and we're going to talk about this. So we can go to history as much as possible. For now, we want to offload what we see on TV and look at all sides. So in recent days, Palestinians, and I'm taking this from AP News, Palestinians have barricaded themselves in the Al-Aqsa Mosque with stones and firecrackers demanding the right to pray there overnight. Something Israel has done in the past only uh, during 10 days of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. Uh, the Palestinians also say they are seeking to prevent religious Jews from carrying out any ritual animal slaughter at the site. Israel bars the ancient practice, but Jewish extremists have called for it to be revived, offering cash rewards to anyone who tries. In recent years, groups of religious and nationalistic Jews escorted by police have been visiting the compound in greater numbers and holding prayers in defiance of long-standing rules. The Palestinian views the frequent visits and attempts pre- attempted prayers by Jews as provocation and often ignite scuffles and more serious violence. This year, Ramadan and the Jewish hol- high holiday of Passover overlap. With large number of Jews flocking to the site for visits that police typically facilitate in the evening, in early morning after forcibly driving out Palestinians out. Some Israelis say that the site should be open to all visitors. The Palestinians refuse, fear it would pay way for Israel to take full control of it. Um, so basically, it was the Palestinians who were. Uh, who were held, who who locked themselves up, barricaded themselves in the Al Aska Mosque uh, against the guidelines, against the rules and regulations, um, and they they um, they created the problem, the issue, and of course they say, well, it's the pal- it's the Jews who there are extremist Jews, um, and I, I'm I'm really. I don't know if it's true or not, because we know that uh, Hamas and we know that the Muslim Brotherhood offers dogs whist- dog whistles over and over again just so that the uh, Palestinians, uh, Muslims, can, uh, can be provoked. The moment they provoke, you'll have a fire somewhere and then someone will replicate the fire and then say, see, 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 the Muslims are, are um, being uh, 
being attacked. But it's a dog whistle right out of the Muslim Brotherhood's, uh, you know, uh, book, and that also Hamas. So they're doing it on purpose just to incite violence, and then the whole world says, "Oh, look, the Jews are creating problems for the Israelis, for the uh, Palestinians." And they did it for the Ramnavni violence. You had Ilan Omar one week before sending out a dog whistle that uh, most people will not understand. It dog whistle is something like you know. You, uh, you whistle, there's a particular whistle that human beings will not understand, but dogs will, and all of a sudden they wake up. So that's a dog whistle, it means underlying call to arms. Um, and that's what Ilan Omar did, uh, Ilan Omar from the U.S., she's uh, in the House of Representatives. So she uh, said... 200 million Muslims are at risk of, of genocide in India. That was a dog whistle to, to the Muslims in India. Um, and they started violence at Ram Navni. And because of this violence, uh, guess what happened? Um, uh, everyone says, look, oh, the, the Muslims are being uh, hurt. The Muslims are being uh, uh, burnt and, and violated and uh, human rights blah, 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 just for a photo op of the world to show how Hindus are bad. And this is how the propaganda war goes on. It's not even a physical war. It's a propaganda war. And they need, they need to show the world how, you know, how, um, how, how victim they are, how victimized they are. It's gaslighting to wage an information and uh, online propaganda warfare. Uh, something which, all empires have done for a very, very long time, and which is very, very typical of uh, Abrahamic groups um, nowadays. But it's always been part of empires and kingdoms for time immemorial. It's part of power. Uh, so this one was started by the Palestinians. Uh, of course, like I said, it's not to say that the Jews, uh, they, they are no extremist Jews. Uh, normally, the extremist Jews are those that are called Haredim or the ultra-Orthodox, the one with the black hat and the you know wriggly curl hair that goes down, that wriggles away on the side locks. Um, but they are allies of the Palestinians. For those who don't understand um, Israeli politics, um, the ultra-Orthodox or the um, ultra-religious Jews are all allies of the Palestinians. They prefer the Palestinians to, to secular Jews because they are very religious. They want to make whole, whole of the Levant a religious place. Uh, and they, their birth rate, birth rate is humongous, 8 to 10 people, sometimes 12 is their birth rate um, per person. And so they want to uh, multiply and take over the land by multiplication, by producing so many children. But they do not, they, they, they despise secular Jews, they prefer Palestinians who, who wear the hijab and things like that, much more than, than Israel. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if this is the truth at this particular point, but I know this uh, violence was invoked uh, by external forces and mostly external forces. And I'm going to be alleging that it's the Muslim Brotherhood and the Hamas who are uh, in, in provoking this violence. Uh, 
But like I said, it's always been a tinderbox and it takes two to fight. It takes two to argue. Uh, so both sides, there's some provoking going on somewhere the, up the line. And uh, it, provoked, it provoked this violence today. But what is the history behind it? Like I, I always like to say, there's a history behind this and, and there always has been um, a history. Uh, very important to understand. I've spoken about this before, but today I'm going to talk about it again. Um, the Dome of the Rock, uh, or should I say the Al-Aqsa Mosque complex, okay, because it's a complex if you look at it, uh, there is a huge a temple mount, it's called Temple Mount, and on the Temple Mount there is one part of it is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, the whole thing is not the Al-Aqsa Mosque, okay, so it's just one part of it. Um, and let's go back to history, okay? This site was controlled by the Jewish Sanhedrin or the Jewish parliament or the orthodoxy until 70 AD when the Romans who were the military power at that time brought it down because there was infighting between the different tribes and so they were so angry that they bought it down uh, they burnt it and disbanded the jews from the area now the word was not jews at that time it was hebrews but they were not jews okay the the concept jews did not come along till the 12th 13th century so uh the, the romans bring down the second temple in 70 ad and by 135 ad um the the Romans were so angry with the people over there uh, because of the Maccabah revolt. Uh, I think it's the Maccabah revolt, I'm not sure. Uh, but there was a revolt in 134, 132 AD. The Romans were so angry with the Hebrews that they disbanded every Hebrew from that place. They called the place Syria Philistim uh, because Philistim was a bad word. Uh, it was a bad word. It meant foreigner. It meant uh, unkempt. It meant person who did not follow the laws of kosher. It meant uh, people who occupied, invaders, uh, foreigners. So in order to get back at the Jews who were always fighting, uh, they named the place Syria Philistina in 135 AD. And the place where the original um, um, temple, the, the Ark of the Covenant was kept, the first synagogue uh, of of uh, Jerusalem before the Temple Mount was built as per Hebrew history that was the old city of david that is also a place that's very important in judaic history they made that into temple mount Tem uh, uh, sorry they made that into a dump a garbage dump why because they didn't want the Jews to get there. They did not want the Jews to take this place, the Hebrews. They wanted to disband them in order to, to divert them from there and make sure that they never come to that place. The old city of David, uh, which was uh, outside the main fortress of, um, of Jerusalem, was uh, made into a garbage dump. Okay, that garbage dump was outside the city. That garbage dump also had something very uh, important, the Gihon Springs. Now, in Jerusalem, for those who don't know, there was only one water source in those days. It was called the Gihon Springs. And near the springs was the first synagogue. It was uh, of... Um, 
of Israel where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And this Ark of the Covenant uh, needed water. You needed water for the sacrifices. And as a result of that, uh, uh, they had to be close to the Gihon Springs. And the Gihon Springs are in the old city and was made into a garbage dump. So no water supply. And if there's no water supplies, the city comes to an end. And this was what happened. So a garbage dump was what the Romans made it into. And that's very important to understand. Okay, remember this part. So um, let me give you now the Jewish version of the Dome of the Rock, of the Temple Mount and what it is, okay? So the, here's the Jewish version, uh, historical Jewish version of the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount sits on the Dome of a Rock, um, sits under the Dome of the Rock. It is the peak of Mount Moriah. The Temple Mount is sitting on what, a mount and it's called Mount Moriah. We also have proof that the pool of Shilium, Silium, where the Jewish pilgrims would purify themselves and then walk up the steps to the Temple of Solomon and pray to their God. A rock-cut pool on the southern slope of the city of David outside the old city. The western wall is believed to be the remaining fortifications of the second Jewish temple built by King Herod. So when King David conquered this area, the kingdom of Israel was found. In order to consolidate his kingdom 3,000 years ago and rally the people around, he convinces the people to build a temple as a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which was requested by God through Moses. By following his laws and ideology as Noted in five books of Moses, they were guaranteed a place in heaven for eternity. For that, he has to collect high taxes. Unfortunately, he did not live to see his project materialize. His son Solomon went into went to build on to build the temple, later known as the Temple of Solomon, or today the Temple Mount. The temple once built became an endless bank account for the establishment. Every time you needed to access the temple premises, which would have been a compulsory function to perform a ceremony of sacrifice, it meant money and more money for the rabbis and local leaders. The people became poorer and the establishment richer and more corrupt. When Solomon died and the people had enough, they, they loved King David, they loved King Solomon as they are said to be good kings. But they were not willing to go beyond, especially with the crony establishment of the land. The people revolted and the kingdom broke into two halves, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The Israelite establishment found themselves in the northern kingdom, but the one thing that was most important to them, the temple of Jerusalem uh, and their eternal bank account, ended up in Ju Judah in the south. One would think that this revolt the former uh, against the former Israelite establishment who found themselves in the northern kingdom would have really realized their folly and come to the table to negotiate and mend fences to change their ways and have a truce with their southern cousins, all of whom descended from the same patriarch. But no, they went on to on the offensive and divide between the northern kingdom against the southern Yehud. And the, and the violence intensified, all for money and power. They institutionalized the animosity against the Yehud and corruption, the corruption continued. Neither did they regain the kingdom back and neither did the Temple Mount 
their most prized possession, was lost forever. The Yehud went on to form one establishment and the Northern Israelites another. So that's the unofficial, that's the official Jewish version, okay? The unofficial Christian version is such, okay? Because the Christians held this place also. So the Temple Mount, or the Dome of the Rock, is the most recognizable monument on the Temple um, in Jerusalem, also known to the Muslims as Al-Haram Al-Sharif Complex. The first information we have of it is the Bordo Pilgrim, which writes in 333 AD and most imposing building east of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which was still being built um, and was a Roman praetorium while Pilate judged and sentenced Jesus to die on the cross. The walls of the structure were centered directly within the Tyropoon Valley. The pilgrim was looking at what we call today as the Western Wall and notes that the walled area contained the residence of Pilate and the Roman Praetorium. This residence of Pilate was also known as Fort Antonia. During Roman times, this Praetorium was known to house up to six, from 6,000 personnel and 4,000 support personnel. The Apostle John called this mount the rock and was well aware of its significance in Christian history. Around 300 AD, Helena, the mother of Constantine, ordered a small Christian church to be built around the rock called the Church of the Holy Pilgrims. This would later become the Church of the Holy Wisdom or Santa Sophia. The 6th century work called Piacenza Pilgrim, or the anonymous pilgrim of Piacenza, was the 6th century, that's 570 AD, Christian pilgrim um, from northern Italy who traveled to the Holy Land at the height of the Byzantine rule in the 570s and wrote a narrative of his pilgrimage. So we get this from his narrative uh, of the Piacenza Pilgrim, who visited uh, the Holy Land from, from Italy, from northern Italy. Uh, the Praetorium, he says, was where Jesus' case was heard, the oblong structure which used to be in the center of the Praetorium. The accused person was made to mount the stone so that the people below could see him. On this temple rock was built the Church of Wisdom, the remainder of which we see today. Now in King David's time, Mount Zion was situated on the southern part of Jerusalem, on the southern edge. Mount Zion was from where the Jebusite fortress was captured by King David. So just to explain over here, um, the Israelites who spent 40 years, uh, the Hebrews spent 40 years in the desert in Sinai after they fled Egypt. From there, they went up north and captured the land of Canaan. Okay, you'll hear this word very often, Canaan. Canaan is a land which is modern-day Israel. They then formed uh, the modern, uh, they, they formed the kingdom of Israel on this land called Canaan, which they captured from the Canaanites. Okay, uh, on that was the uh, a fortress. It's called the Jebusite fortress. That fortress became the city of King David, and that fortress, that city of King David, is where the original uh, um, um, synagogue uh, was 
And because the Gihon Springs are there and the original Ark of the Covenant was kept there in King David, which is the Jebusite fortress before uh, Israel uh, came into existence. So I'll repeat this again. The Praetorium where Jesus' case was heard, the oblong stone, which was used in the center of the Praetorium, uh, the accused person was... Uh, was made to mount the stones so the, the people below could see them. On this temple rock was built the Church of Wisdom, this, the remainder of which we see today. And in King David's time, Mount Zion was situated on the southern part of Jerusalem, on the southern edge. Mount Zion was also where the Jebusite fortress was, was existed and was captured by King David. So in the Bible, uh, 2 Chronicles, verses 3... Uh, to, uh, chapter 3 verse 1 says um, the Lord asked for the temple to be built on Mount Moriah the dome of the rock which stands uh, which the enclosure of the Haram al-Sharif would be what is left of the Roman Praetorium and the Church of Wisdom this was converted to the temple uh, of Domini the Muslims took it back under Salahuddin and converted it back into a mosque in Arabic, this complex is called Al-Haram Ish-Sharif, Ish-Sharif, okay, Ish as in E-S-H. In Hebrew, uh, means fire or sun, which sounds very close to Shemesh or Beit Shemesh, which in Hebrew is called the house of or the temple of the sun. So the Arabic name actually is the leftover of the Hebrew name, which means Temple of the Sun. So let's look at it closer. In uh, the Bible, uh, Samuel uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in there. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get into the city. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. So we know that the old city of David, which is outside Jerusalem walls, the city walls uh which is today the temple mount um so that is the old city of david was actually where the first temple was built before the temple mount was constructed and that is where um the original ark of the covenant was and that is also where uh the romans made into a garbage dump okay so basically, long of the story, short of the story, you have the Temple Mount, which is what we see today. We have the old city of David uh, outside that main Temple Mount. Um, so the two places, and none of them can figure out who exactly, where was the, where was the first Temple Mount? Where was the, where was the first synagogue? Where was the second synagogue? Uh, they think that the second synagogue, which is the Temple Mount. Is actually the first synagogue, and no one can really make it up. It, it's a mess. It's a royal mess because there are actually two synagogues, uh, two eras, um, and the Muslims also don't remember where they actually built the first Al-Aqsa Mosque because the Al-Aqsa Mosque, we will see later, um, is, is um, the original place is lost, and so that's why we have a problem. Um, so the Muslims can um, take over the city in 637 AD. Rashidun Caliph Omar takes over the city, 
Caliph Umar, with the help of the Christian patriarch Sophorius, converted the uh, and a converted Jew, uh, Kabal Abbar found the rubbish dump which the Romans had converted uh, and suggested he build a mosque north of the rock, but instead the Caliph Umar built the mosque south of the rock. Okay, The rubbish dump was the city of David on Mount Zion, originally the fortress of the Jebusites. So we listen to the Islamic version. Remember the Christians and Yehud, uh, and the Yehud or the Jews form 95% of the population when the, when the Muslims take, first take over. The Christians being the majority. The Muslims were only 5% but basically the ruling class. When you invade a region anywhere in the world, your physical strength does not count for much. You will be in the minority. You have to work with the local population on the ground to gain their support and win them over. You form coalitions with the marginalized groups on the ground, convert them to your side, marry their women to form a Matisse class and build your support base. Remember Linda Sarsour, a Palestinian activist, says we must form coalitions with all marginalized groups in America to build our strength. We must keep Muslims in a constant stage of fear and outrage. And by keeping them in, in a constant state of fear and outrage, they have to have dog whistles where they tell the people, oh, you must, you, you're being victimized, you're being victimized, there's a genocide going on, rise up, rise up. And this is why we have the, uh, um, we have the uh, violence in, in the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Ram Navni uh, parades. Uh, a group... The group in this context, 637, would have been the Israelites who were marginalized by the Christians. The Muslims uh, would have won them over by slowly converting the Christian population. As they would have grown in strength, their power would have grown. Once the Christians became a minority, the Muslims would have taken over their monuments. The primary of the locations would have been the Fort Antonia and the original site for the first and second temple. On on it would be standing the Church of Wisdom, itself originally part of the Roman temple built by Hadrian. Uh, there were definitely no eight-sided mosques in the world. So how did the Muslims build the mosque in 691 AD, when in 632 AD, when the Prophet Muhammad passed away, they had no knowledge. They were illiterate and even the Quran was not written down according to Islamic history. So where did they get the commission? Uh, where did they build this monument from? So the Temple Mount being on a hill um, would have been the seat of power where one could overlook the cities and countryside. It would become a symbol of power for the clans and tribes passing by, and they definitely did not rebuild Solomon's temple as the number of Jews would have dwindled down to nothing. Whatever was left standing was then rebranded as a mosque. Every Muslim establishment, no different than any other establishment in the world, would have wanted power to collect tax. So Fort Antonia, which is the Temple Mount today, now taken over, could have been ordered uh, with, to have minor modifications and maintenance in 691. And when the Crusaders invaded in uh, 1099, uh, this is the status quo that they would have been faced with. Hence, today, the Muslims are very ambiguous of the fact that the Dome of the Rock is actually the Solomon's Temple, which once stood, the land where they built their wooden mosque, would have been the original city of David, which they took over, the Jews originally took over from the Jebusites. Now, of course, it's no simple matter. Um, 
It is important to note the Islam that uh, Islam consider, considers the entire Temple Mount complex as the Al Haram es Sharif. The mosque on the site was said to be built in the seventh century by Umayyad Caliph Umar. It sits on the southern part of the complex and is called the Masjid Al Aqsa, the furthest mosque. It is believed to be where Prophet Muhammad embarked on his miraculous night journey to heaven from the site. He tied his steed, that is the Barak, to the gate and embarked on the journey to heaven, that is the Quran 17.1. Okay, uh, chapter uh, 17, verse 1. However, there lies a problem. Prophet Muhammad never went to Jerusalem. A fact at least not noted in the Quran. There was never any mosque in Jerusalem built by Muhammad when he died. And if he had to go to heaven in spirit, no one can see a spirit. So how would they have known uh, where uh, he went to heaven? Al-Aqsa means the furthest mosque. Hence, when the Arabs conquered Jerusalem, the Caliph Umar had to be given a tour by the by of the city by Semphronius, the Christian Archbishop of Jerusalem, and by a Jewish convert to Islam. Thus, they had no idea about anything in the city, leave alone where Muhammad traveled to on the miraculous night journey. Now, then, did now how then did this become the furthest mosque when it clearly did not exist during the time of the Prophet? Al-Aqsa is mentioned only once in the Quran. Exalted is he who took his servant by night from the Al-Masjid Al-Haram to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, whose surroundings we have blessed to show that our signs of our signs. Indeed, he is hearing and seeing. There's no mention of any precise location in the Quran concerning Al-Aqsa. This is besides the fact that the Quran was not even written in 638. When the Arabs took over Jerusalem, many early Islamic scholars and researchers believed that the Al-Aqsa Mosque mentioned in the Quran was one of the two mosques located near Jin Jirana, a village located between Mecca and Taif in Saudi Arabia. One of the mosques was called Al-Masjid Al-Adna, meaning the closer mosque and the closer and the other Al-Masjid Al-Aqqa, the furthest mosque or a point in, Jin, in Jinnah, sorry, Jinra. Okay, when the Quran refers to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's telling the story of a prophet's night journey from the Holy Mosque of Makkah to Al-Aqsa, that is the further mosque. Okay, within the Mecca district. Okay, today in Jinra, there is only a mosque called Masjid al Jinra. The mosque on the road to Taif is an important place for Muslims, especially those who are preparing for Hajj or Umrah. Tradition says that Muhammad, after the Battle of Hunayn, stopped at the mosque now known as the Masjid al Jinra and established and entered Irham here before continuing to the holy city. That is why the Jinra Mosque is the most popular Mikat station, especially for residents of Makkah. Mikat is the principal boundary point of the area within which Muslim pilgrims on Hajj must be in. A state of Iram or a state of consecration in which certain worldly activities or actions considered haram are prohibited. So they must be in a state, uh, they, um, in a state of uh, Iram or, uh, you know, uh, 
as we, you know, whenever you go to to uh, to penance or you, you go to a mosque or you go to a pilgrimage, you have to be in a certain state of spiritual state. In Arabic, it's called Mirahirham. So that's what they're talking about. Basically, from Quran 17.1, we understand that Allah is exalting the person or persons who accompanied Muhammad from Makkah to the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jinra, which is in the Mecca district. Ibn Ishaq al-Faiqi, an early Islamic historian, stated that those who wanted to perform Umrah would first purify themselves at the neighboring villages of Tanim and Jinra. The Al-Adna Mosque in Tanim was significant because Muhammad's wife Aisha had purified herself there and the Prophet himself prayed at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jinra. So we see the the. The note in the Quran, 17.1, is actually talking about two areas, two uh, mosques within the Mecca district or within the Mecca area. They're not talking about uh, Jerusalem at all. They're talking about the mosque with the Prophet stopped at on his way to the holy site of Mecca. That is what they're talking about. They are absolutely not talking about the the name of the mosque. The actual word means it's an adjective, the the furthest mosque between um, Taif between uh, Mecca and Taif in Saudi Arabia. Now, this is all within the um, this is all within the Mecca surrounding Mecca areas. Uh, so basically, the Prophet moved from one area to the other area on his way to uh, Mecca. We know the uh, the Prophet never left uh, Saudi Arabia, what is modern day Saudi Arabia. He never went to the Levant. He never went to Jerusalem. So there was no way he could have gone to that that place that is the Temple Mount. So this is all uh, running around in circles for misinterpretation. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of violence there, but no one wants to take it under consideration. But this is the history behind it, my dear friends. Um, and I hope that that you will look at the history of it. I'll try and post a little bit, a little of a note on it, and we'll go from there. Um, and I hope that you will do your research, understand it, because it's very, very deep. It's very simple if you know the history of this area and you know the geography of this area. So, uh, you know, as a homework, you could go look at Mecca, look at different cities around, look at different areas around, pilgrimage place. Um, Look at the mosque around in, in a place called Jinra and a village, uh, a village located near Mecca in Taif, which is uh, also another area over there. Uh, it's very close to, uh, to Mecca and people have to stop by over here before they go into Mecca themselves. So if you can look at the history, you will know, you will understand that this is a lot of noise for nothing. Um, I wish it was better, but it is what it is. So on that note, I hope I've given you a little history lesson. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the very best. Peace, my friends. That's most important. We can challenge the, we can challenge the idea, but not the human being, because the human is sacred. Stop the violence in your home, and you will stop the violence in your streets. Stop the violence in your streets, and you will stop the violence at your borders. Have that conversation in your home. Understand the history, the currents that form your way and you will have that conversation in your streets. Thank you very much for your time. You have yourself a great day.